Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're in or you're out, right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. There's nothing like Las Vegas and the mob. And when you talk about the mob in Vegas, it's always of interest. Wherever it is, people love this sort of thing. We're going to talk to somebody who actually dealt with the mob from the police side. His name is Tony Solano. He's also got a fantastic book that would make great winter reading in Las Vegas, The Case of Two in the Trunk, a Sergeant Markey mystery. And we're going to talk about that book too. But Tony, welcome. So... You're one of those people that had to face people like John Gotti. Uh, do you get kind of immune to that? Because I, I just hear it and I'm afraid. Well, I, I think you're not really immune to it. I mean, you, you always have to be aware who you're dealing with. But, you know, they're, they're people just like everybody else. I mean, you know, uh, the old saying, you treat people the way you want to be treated. And I, I think if, if you go into it with that philosophy, you're, you're generally okay. Organized crime has its own sets of rules and so forth right and uh, i guess in your job on the good guy side you kind of have to know how that works right because that's the key to uh really finding out what you need to know and uh stopping what you're trying to stop yeah i, I think so I, I think you know police work is funny especially when you're talking about uh, you know gangster cases um you, <laughs> you actually have to think a little bit like they do and and the more the more capable you are of doing that, the easier it is. It's a lot harder to learn how to think like a wise guy rather than it coming naturally. And that really has to do with how you're brought up and, you know, and the environment you're brought up in. Yeah, it makes me think of the movie Goodfellas, right? And there's a lot of truth to that, right? The way Because the, these people were brought up to kind of feel like it was a special society. I mean, it was actually in some neighborhoods looked as a real positive if you could be in that world. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, it was a positive based on fear, but nevertheless, and you know, it was sort of a positive role model because they, you know, they gained a lot of respect uh, from from the local people, regardless what they were doing. And again, it was a, it was sort of a fear-induced respect. Yeah. So it's fear. We get back to fear, and I always think for the police. It's an interesting position because you can't buy into that too much, or you wouldn't be able to do anything. And yet you're trying to think like them. So how do you get to the point that you want to do that kind of thing? Because it takes a certain type of person. I mean, it goes back to the days of the untouchables. It does take a certain type of mentality and a certain type of ethic to really want to fight these people. Well, that's right. And it, and it, and it takes – there are different degrees of, of capability in dealing with the mob. Now, I, I, I know from my own perspective, I mean, I could plot and plan and, 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 and create – uh, scenarios that would help me build a case against against the mobster, um, but that would be a far cry from me going undercover and you know uh, sitting in their houses and having dinner with them and meeting their family, and then uh, you know informing on them and creating a case. I, I don't think I could do that. I mean, Joe Pistone did a marvelous job, uh, you know, as Donnie Brasco, and and 
you know, he's a very special guy. I, I would say very, very few people could do what he did. People wanted me to ask you. I, t- I told some folks that are regular listeners that we were going to have you on, and they said, was there anything special about that, you know, coming from, you know, obviously you have an Italian surname. Is there something about that? Because you know, there's that whole history of that. I know growing up as an Italian person, people would, I would ask me if I knew anybody in the mob, and it was just it was sort of insulting. And I, and I think it's one of those things where it's a kind of uh, like it's almost an offense to your ethnicity, the fact that you have to deal with folks that uh, kind of put a bad light on uh, our backgrounds. No, I, I never looked at it like that. Actually, I looked at it as an advantage because remember I told you everything is done, you know, through fear. That's where their power is based. Mm-hmm. And And if you're dealing with people... If they think that you, you're something to be feared, it makes it a lot easier in communicating with them. And, and I'm not saying that's something that, that you want to really necessarily exploit, but it, it certainly doesn't hurt when you're questioning someone. Well, let's talk about John Gotti, because of all the names, and you've been, you've had all the big hitters here I'm looking at, you know, 1990s and on, but Gotti's the one that everybody knows. What was he like? I mean, aside from being a very uh, good dresser, what was this guy like? Well, I think John Gotti was a very, um, a very special kind of a of a guy. I mean, he had what I would have to say was was leadership qualities, and and uh, and I and I say that only because of the people that he had following him, and and that transcended uh, just fear because they were all scary guys. Right. Um, but he was he was a leader, and 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 it, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Um, the business with the uh, the homicide of Paul Castellano when they when they killed him in in, uh, in front of Sparks Steakhouse, I mean, for him to get these these major racketeers to join him in that kind of an endeavor, um, they, they not, they're not going to follow a dope. I mean, they're going to follow somebody that they respect and who's smart and who's intelligent and who they think that they could uh, you know yeah. that they could follow. Well, and, and you know, it's called organized crime for a reason, right? I mean, yeah. somebody at that side, they got to be a good business leader, too. I mean, he basically was the CEO of this big operation. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, he, he gets sort of a bad rap now, I guess, because the, the family was in great jeopardy because of the uh, the ability of law enforcement to, to do some serious damage to the mob. Um, but uh, when he became the boss, the way I understood it was, uh, you know, whatever was due him, he took, you know. <laughs> well, you know, when you see a show like The Sopranos that's yeah. kind of in recent memory, number one, are they fairly accurate in your mind? And number two, is it just an idea? Is there a lot of these people still running around? Some people don't even think of the mob anymore. Of course, back in the, you know, in the 20th century, particularly in the Depression, uh, they ran a lot of cities and so forth. Is it still like that, or is it more defined? How do you see where organized crime is today? Well, I, I, I think it's still out there. I, I just think what they've done is they've reverted back to the way they used to be, sort of under the radar. I mean, you know, they're in the 80s and the, the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know, there was a big body count, uh, you know, with the gangsters. They were killing each other all the time, and that generally draws attention to, to an organization. Uh, that, that, a lot of that doesn't go on now, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not out there. Interesting, yeah. And, you know, you must see here in Las Vegas, th- they ran the town for a while, and then suddenly it just kind of 
it, it switched to a corporate type thing. Some people liked it better when it was run by the mob because uh, things were cheaper and it was all around gambling. And now it's uh, make money any way you can. But uh, is that a case where Vegas was just too high profile in in the sense that you know everybody's looking at it? Even the entertainers were involved with it. Was it was it one of those things where they've kind of gone as you kind of say? Not underground, but they're a little, little less obvious. Well, again, yeah, I, I, I would think. I mean, look, they were high profile, you know, um, at, at the time when they were skimming the money out of the casinos and all of that. Um, and, and quite frankly, who knows what goes on in those casinos? I mean, we wouldn't know whether whether there's skimming going on or not. Um, they, mm-hmm. they didn't know it was going on, uh, you, you know, thirty or forty years ago. Um, they're, they're, they're just more circumspect now than they used to be. Now, I'm not saying that that's going on. I, I don't know. Um, but I would not underestimate their ability to, to take advantage of situations. More with Tony Solano, author of the novel The Case of Two in the Trunk, in just a few moments. But first, when you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do. And I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas. But by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. The lobby, in fact, is a restored shell from the old La Concha Motel. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience. So you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. You are listening to former cop and author of the novel The Case of Two in the Trunk, Tony Solano. So in other words, what you're saying, too, is uh, organized crime hasn't gone away. We don't have that beat necessarily. It just may be a little more controlled than it used to be. Yeah, I think they got a little smarter. I think that they're they're, they're figuring out how to make money uh, different ways than than just a basic extortion and shaking down. I think they're still gambling. I think... There's still loan sharking. I think there's still business uh, ventures that they get involved in. And, you know, let's face it, it's, a, it's an opportunistic uh, crowd that are going to take advantage once they get their, their hooks in. Is there anything they're into these days that they weren't before that just kind of the 21st century has kind of led them to? Well, I think these computer, uh, you know, all of these computer issues, gambling online and all of that, I, I, I would think that there's some kind of uh, an angle to that. Yeah, so the, so the, they don't miss a trick. In other words, if there's a vice out there, they're always kind of like looking looking at how can we exploit it. Well, I think that's right. I, I, I think that, you know, because a person may not have a formal education and, and, and you know, have an MBA, it doesn't mean that they're stupid people. I, I would never underestimate their ingenuity and, and their ability, and you couple that with a certain amount of ruthlessness. I mean, you're dealing with a formidable, formidable entity. Have you enjoyed your career? Because I mean, you had a fantastic one in terms of, you know, what you've been able to do and fighting in that world and so forth. I mean, is it, looking back, I mean, would you do anything else? Or are you happy? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I, I was pretty satisfied. I mean, I was kind of a humble guy. I wasn't one to, you know, have lofty ambitions. And and uh, however, as things turned out, it, it uh, police career wise, it, it worked out pretty well for me. You know, it's interesting you say that. Do you think that uh, people that have to deal with us from the law enforcement side, you kind of need more humility there, right? I mean, you, it's one of those places where, I guess, to be effective, you kind of have to keep a lower profile than the very people you're going after who uh, kind of enjoy, or some of them do, enjoy the uh, fanfare and so forth. 
Yeah, I, I think anybody anybody who's high profile is 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 they're opening they're creating an opening where their vulnerability could be exploited. And that's all based on either jealousy or for whatever reason. So I, I don't care if you're a gangster or a police officer or a politician. The higher profile you are, the more people are, are going to be a little envious of that, maybe. And they'll tend to take shots at you. Well, I want to talk about this book, The Case yeah. of Two in the Trunk, a Sergeant Markey Mystery. You're actually a great writer, and it's a fascinating story. And first of all, you got to be happy. I was looking at some of the reviews. Everybody likes it. And, you know, that's unusual these days. Well, let me tell you, I'm surprised by those reviews myself. <laughs> and when I wrote this, I, you know, I, you know, I had a business, and I, in Midtown, I had a security company after I retired, investigative firm. And then after that retirement, I said I have to do something. So I decided to, to start these Sergeant Markey things. And as I as I wrote that, you know, every page I'm saying, "Gee, I don't want to offend anyone." So you, you're very careful, you know, in in what you're writing. And uh, first of all, I was, uh, I was worried that the police may not like it because maybe it's a little too rough. They're not all altar boys. And then I thought, then, gee, maybe the racketeers won't even like it because, you know, now I'm trying to think like they would think <laughs> yeah. as I'm creating characters. And oddly enough, it, as it turned out, everybody liked it. And, and probably the greatest review I got is not written down. It was some guy I know that that was familiar with that, uh, you know, the underbelly. Right. And he, he read it and... The word came back. He loved it, which told me I must have been accurate in how I was assuming they think. Oh, it's fantastic. Folks, you're going to love this book. First of all, before we even – and I want to talk a little about what happens in the book, but has anybody approached you either from the world of television or film? Because it just seems like a natural to me. Well, there was a guy that, that – uh, he was a producer, and he, he's, uh, he liked it very, very much, and he, he took a – he took it to uh, to you know one of the people that that puts on these shows, and uh, I was told now it's a question of waiting. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I think they'd be uh, smart to grab it up because people just love this stuff. And your your story is rich because there's so many facets to it, which I find interesting. First of all, tell us about this guy Joe Horse. Okay, he's got a problem, right? <laughs> yeah, Joe Joe Horse is a uh, <clears throat> is a drug addict and he's a drug dealer and he happens to be successful at what he does and the book basically starts out where he finds where he has two deceased women in his living room and he doesn't know what to do to get rid of them yeah and that's a real problem <laughs> obviously yeah, you're on probation right. now the guy i love the uh the guy from uh, the detective he's a really corrupt guy his name is fishnet milligan you made him really an interesting character. Is that based on people you dealt with, or, or is it anybody in particular? Or how did you come up with him? Well, it's interesting. Every character is a, is a sort of a composite of about 10 different people. And so what you do is you take tra- – what I did anyways, I took traits of, of maybe half a dozen, 10 people, and I, I, I put them into one character, and boom, I've got Fishnet Milligan. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, he's cool. I mean, because he's got all sorts of problems, but on the other hand, he's pretty effective too. So it's kind of an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's a little bit of a fishnet in all of us, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that could that could be. And then uh, again, the relations. This is how interesting this book is. The relations to those dead women you were talking about. One's a mafia assassin, and then the other is completely different. Uh, again. Is, is that something you came across where, I'm guessing, 
you found places where sometimes people were really involved and other people were caught up in something that, that you never imagined they were part of. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, people people come from, you know, different places in life. And, and some people will have a problem and they'll readily acknowledge that problem. And then you have other people that, uh, hey, look, if I were to bang on the piano and, and make noise, one father would say to their son, um, um, stop making a racket. Another father will hear the same noise and say to his son, there's my boy, the virtuoso. You know, so yeah. <laughs> it comes from both angles. And I tried to capture that in the personalities of the family of the two deceased women. This whole thing is a great, one of these great suspenseful books. Uh, and uh, I got the feeling as I went through it, that, like, wow, you could tell this is from somebody who's actually lived this. And I think that really comes through. Is that what you tried to put in the book, you know, to kind of really let them know how it feels to be involved in these things? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I did. And, and there are personalities and people have different personalities. And I, and I tried to capture that. You know, when I started uh, doing this, I, I, I and I was a big reader of, you know, James Kane and, and, and uh, Dashiell Hammett and, and all mm -hmm. of those guys and Earl DeBiggers from Charlie Chan. But none of them were cops. And I said, I, I have to be able to tell a story with a little more authenticity in, in, in some respects. You know, everything. I think a lot of times people get caught up on the complex. And, and sometimes a lot of these crimes aren't all that complex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I, I got the idea. It had a different feel to it where, you know, it, it wasn't trying to be too clever in the sense of coming up with all sorts of bizarre things. But yet there's a lot going on and you just kind of feel like you're kind of going through like some of these really great television shows that they've done where they really get into police work. I got to feel kind of that, but a little different than just working in, uh, you know, in, in a, a police office or something like that. You got a little bit more of that underworld feel. I, I just uh, I really like that. It's and I and I and I'm guessing because of these reviews you're getting people that like it. You said you had some person that was in the underworld that kind of said, hey, I like this. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he liked it, which made me feel pretty good because at least it, it, was, it was coming from an authentic place. You know, it, it was credible. And, and I thought that that was important because I was trying to capture some credibility. Well, the book is called The Case of Two in the Trunk, a Sergeant Markey Mystery. First of all, Tony, where do we get it? You get it on Amazon. Okay. It's, it's on Amazon. You got more of these in, uh, you know, you're a good writer. Do you have more of these ready to go in your mind? Well, well actually, I got the second one almost finished, and I, I, I need to uh, get it edited, of course. And, and uh, yeah, no, I'm going to do these as long as I'm capable of doing it. Well, that's terrific, and we will have you on again when that next one comes out. But in the meantime, go get the case of two in the trunk. Hey, Tony, thanks so much for being with us. Really enjoyed chatting with you today. Well, thank you, Steve. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast, with new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network.